This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zephyr CMS. It's a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. You can find them at ZephyrCMS.com. More about this later in the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance. My guest today is Rohit Bargava. He is an innovation and marketing expert and the founder of the non-obvious company, which has spawned a number of books under that title, including the one we're going to talk about today, Non-Obvious Megatrends, How to See What Others Miss and Predict the future. So, Rohit, welcome. Thank you. I love talking to you. It's always uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, this, this is probably your third, maybe, appearance on the show. Uh, that's yeah, that's a, well, let's go with that. Let's go with that. That sounds good. <laughs> so, give me a little background on the non-obvious story. I, I hinted that this was is book number 10 uh, in, in that whole series. So, maybe give uh, give listeners a little background on where that came from. Yeah, it's it's been kind of 10 years of my life, really. The past 10 years, I've done something that, that I think you as a fellow author will appreciate as, as completely crazy and stupid, which is <laughs> I take the same book and I rewrite it uh, every year with brand new trends and brand new updates. And so typically, I just have a year-long horizon where that book kind of reflects the trends of the year, and then I move on and I do a new yeah. version of it. And this year, it's been the 10th year. And so we're doing something really special. And by the way, it's the last year that I'm doing it too. So it's kind of my moment to walk away on top, hopefully. Uh, But it also has given me a chance to look backwards over the last 10 years and say, look, what are the big themes that have changed the way that we think and the way that we do business? And and what do we need to think about in order to survive in the future, both as consumers and also as business owners and, and just you know, what do we need to know about the trends in a practical way, not in an academic way to say, oh, this is what's going to happen like 50 years from now and we may or may not be alive to see it. Uh, but like, how are these mega trends that are going to change the next decade actually changing life right now? And what do we yeah. need to do about them? I remember one of the first business books I remember reading was a book called Megatrends by uh, John Nesbitt. Are you familiar yeah, with that? of course. Yeah. In fact, I, I write about it and it's a fantastic book. And, and uh, yeah. it's funny because, I mean, not only has that book and, and his work been a great inspiration for me, but I learned years after I first read it that uh, he and I actually have the same birthday oh, and wow. he's still around. He's in his nineties now and he's yeah, yeah. You know, still around. <laughs> wow. 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 Yeah. So, you know, you know, I've always, and you see this time of year, we're recording this in the first part of January of uh, 2020, and that's really popular for people to do the trends, you know, blog posts. Um, yep. and, it, and it's, it's funny because sometimes I feel like there's this, it's like, well, we've got to name something a trend. You know, some of it's maybe prolific, some of it's kind of dumb. Um, did you ever feel in the writing of like the next book that, well, you know, I, I, I said XYZ was a trend last year, so I can't use that. And, and it's like, okay, I got to come up with something. I mean, did you ever feel pressure or, or was it obvious to you what the thing? <laughs> no um, <pun> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good question. You know, I mean, I think the, the, the way I would answer that is the, the process that I use every year is I, I really spend a lot of time throughout the entire year gathering yeah. stories and, and potential ideas for trends. And part of my process, and I have a couple of kind of viral time-lapse videos out there that kind of show what this looks like where I'm moving paper around and using post-it notes and stuff. But like a big part of that process is narrowing down lots and lots of potential ideas 
to what are the actual trends and what are the pieces of these things. So usually what ends up happening as I go through that process is I end up with maybe 60 or 70 potential trends. And I then have to take that and narrow it down to like 30 and then I have to narrow it down again to like 15. And and what I've been doing for the past couple of years uh, before this year is I've been writing 10 new trends every year and I've been bringing back five previous trends because they hadn't really, I mean, they evolved, but they hadn't really gone away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was going to ask, actually, ask you that because you've got this ten-year history. Are there some trends that that you know you identified that you said, "Oh no, the stars are all aligned. This is going to happen," and it just didn't happen. Uh, it didn't really materialize. So that's part A. And then I'll ask part B. Are there some that you're absolutely sure they're going to happen? It's still coming. It's just you know it just hasn't happened as rapidly. Um, you know, like like for example. We were writing about mobile marketing for about 10 years before it actually became something, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it was obvious it was coming, but it's just you can't control the speed at which, you know, people, the behavior changes, so to speak. So so were there any that just you bombed kind of um, in a way? And then are there some that you're just absolutely sure of they just haven't happened? So uh, the the – point of your question, which is, are there hits and are there misses? Uh, Yes, there are hits and misses. But, uh, you know, I want to just kind of share what it means to me to call something a trend in the first place. Because uh, to me, if I call something a trend, that's not a prediction of something that could happen. Because it wouldn't be called a trend in the way that I think about trends unless it was already happening. So the prediction is that this thing that only a few people are being affected by or only a small group of people are paying attention to is going to be much, much bigger. And that's the prediction, right? And so in that context, what I'm trying to predict is that this is going to take off and you better be paying attention to it because if you're not, somebody's going to start eating your lunch. Yeah, And uh, in that context, yeah, some of them do better than others. Like some of them accelerate faster than others do. And, and there have been times in the past where I've looked at something and said, oh, this is going to take off. And it, it hasn't really take, taken off. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't a trend in, or taking off at the time when I wrote it. But over time, it didn't actually happen. And so what I tried to do as I thought about this is I said, look, if I'm going to do this in an authentic way, in a non-futurist way, right? Because I often joke that like if you ask a futurist if they were right about the future or wrong, they usually will only give you one of two answers. They'll say either, yes, I was right or not yet. I was before my time, right? <laughs> uh, which is sort of a <laughs> cheating, right? If you think about uh, it. And I didn't want right. to do that. I, I wanted to be more authentic with it. And so at the end of every edition of the book, every year, there's a full appendix with letter grade next to each one of the trends and how they performed over time. Because what I want to try and demonstrate to people is, A, I'm not afraid to be wrong, uh, or at least less correct, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and B, I, I want to put that out there because the more I put it out there and say, look, this is what actually took place and this is what didn't based on conversations we had the more authenticity there is in the entire project all right so i'm going to push you one more time on this are there any that you feel like you identified nobody else was talking about in fact some people maybe even said oh that's silly or that that you kind of nailed it where you're like hey i'm proud of this nobody else saw this coming i did I think that some of the writing I was doing early on that related to curation and specifically content and content marketing, uh, everyone at that time when I wrote about curation was saying, oh, it's all about content marketing. Everyone has to be a creator. And the problem with that is that there were a lot of marketing people in marketing roles where someone was telling them, okay, now you need to start blogging. You need to start creating video. You need to start doing all this stuff. And they weren't good at it. 
and nobody gave him any training on it. And even if you give somebody training on being a great, uh, you know, being able to produce a video, that doesn't mean they're going to be good at it, right? Because not everybody gets into marketing wanting to be a videographer. And many of them end up hating it. That's for sure. And have, yeah, and they hate it. And, and that comes through in the work, right? I mean, if you're forced to do something in marketing that you hate, you're not going to do great with it, right? And so what ended up happening is you had all these creators and all this creation and people said, create, 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 create. And what happened? What happened was there was so much stuff out there that it all became noise. Yeah. And now all of a sudden what became valuable was the few people who had expertise who said, look, this is what you should read. This, this, yeah, this, yeah. and this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And curation became much more important. And I was talking about that you know, super early and I was starting to do that because that was just part of my process for how I was thinking about these trends. And now it's a full-blown thing. I mean, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, I mean, half of the articles that go viral are, you know, 10 speakers that you have to have at your next event, yeah, right? And yeah, like, that's not creation. That's yeah. just curation of something that's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, today content is everything. So our websites are really content management systems, but they've got to work like one. Check out Zephyr. It is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. It's really easy to use. It's very fast. Uh, it won't mess with your SEO. I mean, it really reduces the time and effort to, to launch uh, your clients' websites. Beautiful themes, just really fast, profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug-and-play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R. CMS.com. So one of the things I really enjoy about this particular version, um, and it may have come up in the other ones as well, but you really spend a lot of time talking about your process and, and in a way that sort of, you know, potentially trains somebody else to think this way, because there, would you, would you agree that, that a great deal of, of your success comes from a point of view about what you're looking at? Absolutely. And I think that if there is a big mission behind this book, it's it's not to tell you what the trends or even the mega trends are. The bigger mission of this book is to teach you to see things that other people don't see. Yeah, and to be more open minded. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I think that the world needs more people to read things they don't agree with. Uh, it needs more people to think for themselves instead of thinking based on what someone's told you to think. Yeah, amen. And if I can try and give people a way of doing that that isn't work right because nobody wants homework yeah um, nobody wants someone who isn't even their teacher to assign them homework <laughs> much less their teacher right, right. Uh, but people do want to be more interesting and that's really what I kind of landed on it's not about being more academic or studying it's about being more interesting as a person yeah. and you look I love the advice and, and I consider myself a, a, a pretty good listener and I love the advice of be more interested right? Um, instead of focusing on yourself. But like at some point, we all do want to be more interesting. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I want to lean into that and say, look, if I can share more stories with you, more interesting things that basically elicit a response of, oh, I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. Like that makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I think makes you more valuable uh, to whatever network you're in. Yeah. And I, I really do Look, if you write a book called Non-Obvious, you're kind of putting it out there that you're going to share something that people haven't heard. Yeah. And you're sort of making this bold promise, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like walking up before the game and saying, I'm about to throw four touchdowns. Just watch me, <laughs> right? right? Now it's going to be that much harder to throw those touchdowns. But if you can deliver, yeah. uh, people are like, well, you said you were going to do it and you did it. What do you think um, 
in, in hindsight, um, what do you do differently because of this work? I think that I don't, the biggest thing is I think that I don't dismiss people who don't think the way I do as mm-hmm. being stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Uh, I think the other thing that I, that I do because of this work is I don't consider myself to be in any one industry. I'm not an industry expert. Uh, I'm an every industry expert. And that sounds probably egotistical to say, but when you come from the world that I came from, which was marketing agencies, where you're dealing with different clients in different industries every day, I was never part of a vertical group within an industry, except for a short amount of time in my career. Otherwise, I was working on pitches for all sorts of different things. I was working on B2C and B2B. I was working on small businesses, medium businesses, big businesses. Now I'm a small business owner uh, and um, I'm used to working with large corporations. So like, I've seen a lot of different companies and a lot of different things. And the perspective that that offers me is uh, is amazing. I mean, I'm really happy with that. I can go to any party, any networking event in any industry, and I'll have something that I can talk about with someone with their industry. I don't need to make it about me. Well, that really leads to a great next point. Um, if if I'm reading this book, how would you suggest that? Let's say I'm a business owner or a CEO or you know whatever my role is. How would it, how would you suggest that somebody profit from the ideas in this book? Yeah, profit is big because, I mean, first of all, we all want profit, right? <laughs> and I think that, that there is profit to be had. I mean, there's one definition uh, from uh, a famous writer of a, of a trend book, uh, Martin Raymond, I believe it was his name, who said that uh, trends are profits waiting to happen. And I think that's a great way of thinking about putting your finger on, yeah. on the future. So the way I would suggest that they could profit from this is, first of all, by – creating almost a stop doing list for themselves. Because a lot of times what happens, particularly with small business owners, is we don't generate as much profit as we could because we hold ourselves back. We do the same things we've always done because they work. Yeah. Uh, and they work medium well, yeah. but not amazingly well. But we don't want to kill the medium well, and so we keep doing it. Yeah. And that's the inertia of kind of doing that same thing and being stuck in it. And so the biggest profit engine, I think, is for you to stop holding yourself back. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think you could put the flip side of that. If you want to take a negative uh, to that is that some of these trends uh, are threats, aren't they? They certainly can be. I mean, some of them uh, look, they're, they're double edged in in many ways, right? I mean, I write about instant knowledge uh, as one trend, for example, and I know we'll get into them, but you know, instant knowledge is a great example because a, we have, like the positive side is we have everything in our fingertips, right? We can learn how to do anything by watching a YouTube video. The downside is like, that's all we know how to do exactly how to do it. The way, like imagine you wanted to like get the pomegranate seeds out of a pomegranate, right? You watch a YouTube video of the, the guy kind of slapping the back of the pomegranate with a wooden spoon. And now you think, well, that's the way to get the pomegranate seeds out. And that's the only way. And that's kind of where we are now. Yeah. Like you watch that one thing and you think, well, that's the way to do it. Cause yeah. that's what I saw. That's what I know. Yeah. I have, I have a much better way of doing that, by the way. Um, I, everybody does. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny, it's a funny one. Yeah. And it, Cause you lose a lot of the juice. Like it's fun. I mean, I'm a drummer. So, you know, that whole whacking the, the pomegranate is like, it's a natural thing for me, but even then, like yeah. and plus it hurts when you whack your finger by accident. That's the worst. So, so you've identified, um, it's 10, right? Yeah. 10 trend, 10 mega trend. Yes. Yeah, um, exactly. And they all have one and two word, uh, clever names, which, uh, in some cases, um, 
doesn't really reveal what it's about. Um, so, <laughs> so rather, because I want people to buy the book, I think people should buy the book, uh, Non-Obvious Megatrends. But I thought I would ask you, rather than go through the list and give me like you know one minute on each, uh, I wonder if you might pick one that you maybe you're particularly fond of or you think is particularly relevant for a duct tape marketing audience and maybe just kind of uh, uh, unpack it. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I spend a lot of time uh, naming slash branding yeah. the trends. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know you appreciate that. I mean, you're a branding guy. You have a powerful brand yourself, right? That's been around for a long time and people get it. I mean, they know what duct tape marketing is. Yeah. Um, so like, brands matter because they stick in people's minds. Um, one of the trends that I thought turned out really well in the description and the research of it uh, was a trend that, that I called revivalism. And revivalism was sort of a description of this thing that has started happening where we live in a world where we just don't know what to trust. And so we're more and more skeptical. And our response, because of that skepticism, is to turn the clock backwards and to start going back to the things we used to trust when we were younger. So we're starting to listen to music on vinyl again. We're yeah. playing classic video games. We're going back to board games, right? Like all of these things are signs of something happening in our culture. And that's really what I think a trend should describe. Something that's happening in our culture and how are we going like backwards in time in order to recapture that. And so revivalism was all about that. And so the implication of that, because each one of these trends, like it's not enough to have the trend itself. You, I feel like there's got to be some actionable things you can do as a result. Right, right. Of that, right? And so for revivalism, one of the big things I talked about, and this is particularly relevant, I think for small business owners and especially for marketers is what's the downgraded option. What's the version of what you offer that you might have considered a downgrade, yeah. but actually in, in retrospect might be an upgrade, right? It might be actually better. Yeah. Um, so for example, my phone, I have a Samsung phone. I'm not an Apple guy. And my phone, when it has 5% battery life, I can switch to what Samsung calls uh, low, ultra low power mode. And ultra low power mode basically turns off all my like internet services, turns off most of my apps. It makes my screen like two colors and that's it. But my phone works, my texting works, and the basic stuff that I need works. And my 5% left is going to last me another six hours. Mm. Yeah. Like that's a trade-off I'm willing to make any time because it means that my phone is going to last for longer, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's an example, right, of us taking the clock backwards because you probably remember the time – I re certainly remember the time where we had cell phones where the battery power lasts for six days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? I mean because it was just a phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the idea of charging it was was a very much an afterthought, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. And revivalism is a great uh, one to apply this idea to. Uh, do these repeat? I mean, if you ask somebody 75 years ago, were they talking about revivalism or, you know, what, whatever amount of time? Uh, do, do these – some of them are obviously enabled by technology and things like that. But I wonder if the concepts uh, actually come back, uh, you know, into culture – you know, just on almost on a regular rhythm. That's an interesting question. I, I do think that there is probably a cycle to some of these. Yeah. And I think that, that it's echoed in the same cycle that you tend to see uh, between government and corporations, for example, right? I mean, in a world where government is too powerful, people generally say, oh, we need the companies and the independent organizations to have more power. Yeah. And then when the corporations get too powerful, people are like, oh, wait a second, we need the government to actually be able to step in and, and, uh, balance that yeah. out because yeah. the corporations have too much power, yeah. right? Yeah. So 
our culture does tend to move in these sort of pendulum shifts, I think, yeah. um, as every culture does. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the answer to your question is, is there probably is a, a cyclical nature to some of these. Yeah. So, Rohit, tell people where they can and, – and, and the beauty is because you have this whole body of work. I mean somebody could get the entire collection. They could get you know, just the megatrends. They could get yeah. – um, you know, they, they, they could plug in a lot of places. But again, I, I really think that if I were going to advise somebody, I think, I, I think the trends are you – know, at this point, they're really interesting. Uh, they really give you something to think about. But I personally enjoyed um, the, the part where you're, where you're really teaching how to think – uh, about these trends or how to spot them yourselves. Um, and so, you know, I would, I would encourage people to get the book for that lesson, if nothing else. And then you get the trends on top of that. Maybe that's not the way you want the book positioned, but that's how I read it. No, that's, no, that's exactly how I would position it. Cause look, at the end of the day, I'm an educator, right? I mean, I teach, uh, and that's kind of the background that I came from. Yeah. And, and really that's what I, that's what I want. I mean, I'm not the sort of person that says, Oh, you want to know what the trends are? Pay me a lot of money and I'll tell you, right? <laughs> right. That's not really my business like model. Yeah. What I'd much rather do is be the the force of uh, education, the force of inspiration to try and challenge people to say, look, you can do better. You can think in more non-obvious ways. And and by the way, the world needs you to do that. Yeah. Like we all need you to do that. We need you to put that into the world. So yeah, that's the that's the message. So the book should be pretty easy to find. Uh, yeah. It's in booksellers uh, everywhere. Uh, it should be in the airports as well. If you want to go online and check out a free excerpt of the book and a bunch of other resources, including a time-lapse video of me doing this crazy thing where I'm moving all of the papers around and stuff, you can see that at nonobvious.com slash megatrends. Um, and you can also, but you mentioned the full set. You can also pick up a, a full set of uh, signed copies of all of the books. Um, they look really nice on a bookshelf together because they're all different colors. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You be, you're gonna be like the Beatles, the box. You know, <laughs> hey, I'll take that comparison any day. <laughs> <laughs> Rohit, it was great catching up with you. Hopefully, we'll uh, run into you soon out there on the road or next time I'm in DC. I'm sure we will. Thank you. <laughs> 